Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the August 24th edition of the week-to-week political roundtable from the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm John Zipper, your host for the evening and the Vice President of Media and Editorial at the Commonwealth Club. Um, It's great to see all of you here in person, as well as everyone who's watching and listening online. Now, today we are going to talk about the biggest candidates, issues, and uh, trends of the 2022 fall election. Uh, This will include highlighting some, but not all, of the very many propositions that are on our ballots here in California. And I see that one of those propositions is, yet again, us being asked to vote on kidney dialysis center operation. This is the third time, both times before it failed pretty, pretty soundly. Um, now, the last time we had this on the ballot, I said here at, at week to week that I am utterly unqualified to have an opinion, much less a vote, on how kidney dialysis centers are run. This is no diminution of, of kidney dialysis centers. They're very important. I don't know anything about how to run them. I should not have a vote on them. And I have news for the people who've put this on the ballot for the third time Since the last time we voted on this, I've not done my homework. (laughs) I don't know how to run a kidney dialysis center. I spent my pandemic downtime, like any sane person, binge-watching the West Wing. So, (laughs) not an expert. Still not an expert. Well, luckily tonight, we've got three actual political experts that we're going to be talking to who will help illuminate the uh, momentous 2022 November election. Let's meet them. Um, We're going to start with the big screen right here, and that is... Carla Marinucci with uh, Politico's California Playbook and formerly of the San Francisco Chronicle. You can follow her on Twitter at C. Marinucci. Welcome back, Carla. Closest to the screen here, we have Mark Z. Baraback, political columnist for the Los Angeles Times. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Z. Baraback. Hello again, Mark. And right across from me is Dr. Larry Gersten, political science professor emeritus at the San Jose State University, also a political analyst for NBC Bay Area, and author of the new book, California's Recall Election of Gavin Newsom, COVID-19 and the Test of Leadership. He's on Twitter at L. Gersten. Welcome again, Larry. Now on to our roundtable. First up, in June of this year, the U.S. Supreme Court created a political shockwave when it issued its Dobbs versus Jackson decision, overturning both Roe v. Wade and uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Protests and counter-protests and hissing erupted across the country. Um, in some states, uh, legislators moved to quick, quickly to make uh, abortion illegal there. In other states, there were already uh, laws on the book banning abortion. Some of those laws uh, dated back to the 19th century. Um, so... What impact has this had on the American political scene? Will it last? Let's start with you, Carla. What do you think? I mean, look, Democrats for months have been facing these dire predictions about the midterms based on, you know, history, based on Joe Biden's polls, based on their narrow majorities in the House and Senate. And suddenly it looks like there is a glimmer of hope for Democrats going toward the midterms because of that Dobbs decision. All four of the special elections that have taken place since that decision have, uh, Democrats have overperformed in those. Uh, Latest being last night in New York, 19th House District, that was a 
big win for the Democrats. It's one of a crowd of them. And Democrats have got to be feeling uh, a little better about uh, the, the look going into the midterms. Look, uh, the Dobbs decision has energized women voters. That happened in Kansas. It happened in Nebraska, where Democrats overperformed. It ha- it, it's happened in New York as well. And uh, the women are now turning out in big numbers. Uh, Republicans have got to be worried about that. Uh, Republicans uh, took a very strong and aggressive stance uh, against abortion in many states. And of course, we've seen in more than 10 states, uh, the, the, the laws have been changed. The laws have been uh, uh, changed to the point where women activists are coming out in numbers. And I think this is something we've got to watch right here in California. We've got a measure on the ballot. You're talking about ballot measures, John. Incredibly popular, strong, and IGS poll shows, uh, I think, uh, more than two-thirds of Californians are strongly in favor of uh, pro-choice of, of of a choice for women when it comes to abortion. So this is an issue that is, I think, clearly driving a portion of the electorate. Republicans are hoping that passion is not going to last; that it is going to be the economy, inflation, gas prices, etc. But it does look like abortion is at the top of the list or part of the top of the list when it comes to issues that are going to drive this midterm. And we're seeing it now in these special elections. Mark, what do you think? Is it? Yeah, I I want to start by saying, you know, the world looked a lot different politically two months ago. It could look a lot different two months from now. That said, I was somewhat skeptical after the decision came down that folks would be as energized and remain energized. And the reason was because, if you'll all recall, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died very, very close to the 2020 election. All sorts of talk about how that was going to really energize voters and that was going to make abortion and the Supreme Court a, a, a huge issue in the 2020 campaign, which, which it did not. In fact, if you look at the exit polls, it was only a very, very marginal, very fractional percentage of the, of the electorate in exit polls said Supreme Court was... Uh, uh, a major driver in their decision. Of those who cited that, most of them supported President Trump's re-election. So again, I was, I, was, I was skeptical of it. And I talked to people at the time, and some folks said, you know, it, there's a qualitative difference that Ruth Bader Ginsburg's uh, replacement on the court could lead to the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade. Very, very different people suggested when you actually overturn Roe versus Wade. And I think we're seeing, I, th- I think one important difference is how front and center the issue has been. I mean, these, these cases of, you know, the 10-year-old girl who, who had to go from, I believe, from, from Ohio to Indiana. In other words, there's been a, a tremendous amount of, of, of coverage, and that has, has, has driven, I think, a lot of this intensity. And just to underscore what Carlos said with a couple data points, there was some interesting, uh, I just saw some interesting data out of, out of Pennsylvania We'll get around to Pennsylvania's very important uh, gubernatorial and, and in particular a, a Senate race there. Um, women voters are out registering uh, uh, other men by four to one and they're overwhelmingly Democratic. So, again, huge, huge, a <clears throat> lot of energy. And then the other thing, you know, Carlo talked about that I wanted to underscore is the intensity gap is closed. You know, typically as we, you know, anyone who follows politics with any degree of, of closeness understands, typically the party in the White House loses seats in, in, in the midterm election, right? Uh, their voters tend to stay home. They, they're complacent or they're unhappy or they're whatever. It's the out party that's animated. And, and polls up until now have shown, as we would expect, 
All the intensity has been on the Republican side. Well, polls now are showing Democrats have closed that gap. So that's really, really important. So I'll end where I started by saying things will look very, very different two months from now. And as Carlos suggests, I think Republicans hope it will look very different. I still think it's more likely than not the Democrats lose control of the House, and we'll get to that eventually. Um, I think they have an even or better chance of hanging on to the Senate. We'll get to that eventually. Uh, <clears throat> we'll see what it looks like <clears throat> Excuse me, in two, weeks, in two months. Larry, your thoughts. I'm going to start where Mark ended. How's that for a transition? Uh, a lot can happen in two months. Um, uh, the word Mark used, I think, is really critical, intensity. And right now, we've got lots of intensity. The question is, will that intensity be there two months from now? And we all know, off your elections, the out party loses seats. Uh, the Tradition shows that uh, 28 seats go to the other party and uh, four Senate seats go to the other party. Um, that's tradition. There are exceptions. Granted, granted, granted. Um, but but, uh, but th th this intensity thing in American politics is a very difficult thing to sustain. I just would have you think about uh, gun control. This is, this is the story with gun control. It's a terribly th terrible thing that happens. 15, 20 people killed, all kids, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's awful. Everybody's out outraged. There are marches, this and that. And 10 days later, uh, you know, uh, what's going on with baseball? I mean, it just is not sustained. And, and I, I'm thinking about this, this whole issue of abortion. And the question is, is that going to go against the grain? It, it, uh, will, this, will this anger, if you will... Um, uh, be there in, in, uh, in, in, in 11 weeks or whatever's left. And it's a long time for people to carry around anger. And I just, I just am not very confident that there will be this... Well, it'll be in California, yeah. I mean, Proposition 1 going to pass with 110%. Okay, sure. Uh, but but in, in these, in these, in these um, you know, purple states, and, you know, and look what happened in Indiana after that big uh, uh, kerfuffle. Look what happened, at, that tragedy, and, and what the legislature did. Um, so that, that's my thinking. I'm, I'm just not, I'm not quite there. I'm wondering your thoughts on... Can I just want, I Go ahead, Carla. Larry, I, I just want to say that, um, you know, when it comes to women voters, I, I think you can't underestimate how personal many of them take this issue. Uh, among the newly registered voters in Kansas, where we saw that uh, very critical referendum, 70% of those newly registered voters were women. And Mark talked about this. Something that's driving these voters, I think, is an, uh, an outpouring of new reporting on the impact of this decision on people's lives. He mentioned the 10-year-old girl raped who had to travel to Ohio. We saw a story about a Nebraska mother and daughter who are prosecuted uh, in, in, for illegal abortion after Facebook information uh, was turned over to law enforcement. Uh, we saw a judge in Florida this week telling a 16-year-old she was not sufficiently mature to decide to have an abortion. And we saw a Louisiana woman uh, who, uh, even though uh, her fetus had uh, issues with a, a lack of partial skull, uh, she was uh, uh, barred from having an abortion. Uh, those are those kinds of stories uh, are going to, I, I think, we're going to continue. We're now seeing legislators, conservative legislators in some of these states, saying, "Gee, I didn't know the impact on women," and women are saying, "Really?" Um, and I think this is this is part of what what may be continuing 
uh, to drive the passion. And we'll see if that lasts. Uh, yes, there are a lot of other issues out there, and Republicans are pounding those issues. Uh, but when it comes to women voters, uh, I think this may be a, a, a moment, a watershed moment. Uh, and we'll see if that, uh, if that happens. Could I add one thing? Larry, go Let's go to Kansas. Uh, I need my passport first, but uh, 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 let, let, let's go to Kansas. And remember, that vote, which was so overwhelming, was a binary vote. Well, yeah, that's yes or no. And I'm, I'm t- look. Uh, please don't take this as my personal opinion. I don't want to be pelted. I have a wife and kids and all that stuff. But, uh, but, but, uh, but I mean, you know, uh, just as someone who kind of gets into the weeds like the rest of us. You know, you come up with some sort of plan where abortion is allowed over, you know, after eight, ten weeks, you know, uh, if the mother's life is at stake, whatever. I think you'll see a lot of support for that in Kansas, a lot. And so I I hesitate to get too excited about about that type of a thing. And and those examples you're giving the question and every one of them, I think it makes a good point. But the question is, does it and will it resonate? You know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Well, isn't there always a danger of, especially with an issue like abortion, where advocates, both politic, political leaders as well as, you know, activists, can go too far and make, uh, allow the other side to say, see, you don't, that's what they're like. You what? don't want that. And, like, right after this, this decision came down, Democrats in Congress tried to push through the codification of, of legalized abortion nationally, and it was, as I, as I heard it, I mean, it was basically no restrictions. Right. Well, that allowed de- Republicans who immediately pounced and said, that's not what you believe. I mean, you look at the polls, there's broad support, yeah. but it, you know, it wanes as you, the further you get into it. Then the Democrats kind of re- reorganized and, and came back and started putting Republicans on on notice, on, on specific things, on, you know, uh, incest and, and, and uh, life of the mother and, and rape and stuff like that, and it started putting the, them in a very difficult position. Plus, you had, uh, you know, Justice Thomas's comments about saying, oh, yes, this actually is something we need to look at, contraception, same-sex marriage. Um, so it allowed the Republicans, excuse me, it allowed the Democrats then to say, Look, they're the extremists. No, you, you, make, you make a good point. I did a column uh, out of New Mexico talking about the candidate for governor. Who's, who's, that, that's how Republicans are, are trying to push back on this issue. Um, I mean, they would you know, like it to go away, but you know, it's not and it won't. So how do they address it? And, and what they're doing is, as you suggest, painting Democrats as extreme, you know, supporting abortion with no limits. And you're right. I mean, public opinion on abortion is not as black and white as people would tend to think it is. There's a lot of people. Uh, there, there's a broad middle ground of folks who, who, who want abortion restricted up to a certain point. Um, and, and that's what Republicans have, have been trying to do. That is their strategy to counter the Democrats by saying they are extreme. They are abortion on demand up till the moment of, of, of birth. So that's the Republican. I'm not sure it'll necessarily work, but that is, as you suggest, that's their pushback. OK. Um, we kind of touched on some of this, but I guess I'd like to hear from each of you. Do you think this will be when we get to November or when people actually start casting ballots for the November election? Will this be? a deciding factor in, say, control of either House of, the, of Congress, or do you think, say, inflation and, and the economy will be? Well, that, that, I mean, 
Yeah, I know. Here we are with 50 states, right? And uh, what works in one state is not going to work in another. Um, you know, obviously, in real red states and real blue states, in a sense, it's not even an issue. It's already been decided, right? I mean, this idea about codifying uh, uh, Proposition 1, you know, <laughs> of course, you know, just like, just like in a place like Louisiana or Alabama, they would say, of course, the other way. What does it mean in the purple states? Well, there's going to be a lot of things going on. And my sense is, my sense is, whatever that means, um, that, that uh, you know, most of the time we know people vote their wallets. Now, if you're a Republican, you're going to feel really good. I mean, this is uh, in a situation that's kind of funny. Things are bad. Yes. Okay. I mean, I mean you know, that, that's a good thing. Uh, on the other hand, it looks like things are, may not could be as bad in two months, and for the last month or two are an indication. It looks like the economy may not be the same issue uh, in November that it was in, in June or July. Everybody talks about the price of gas. Well, that's symbolic, but it's very important. Yeah. It just is. Way out of, way, way more than it should be, but, but it is. So, I, I, you know, it may be that, that a woman's right to choose issue is important, especially for this, uh, you know, the, the moms in the suburbs and, 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 and folks like that. But I suspect the, the economy, to the extent that the economy improves, that's going to go a long way toward helping the Democrats in those, in those purple states. Which would actually, I mean, the two of them combined would be really helping yeah. Democrats. Mark? So I, I am loath to make predictions because I've, I've been burned, so I've, <laughs> I've sworn off predictions. So I'm, I'm going to answer the question by, by a question that I like to pose to political operatives and others. When I'm covering a race or this or that, I always like to ask them the kind of the counterfactual. In other words, if, if, if you're wrong, like they'll say, oh, you know, they're working for candidate Smith, who, you know, was, you know they're, they're trying to get elected senator. And I'll say, if you're wrong, OK, you think Senator Smith is going to win. But if you're wrong, why are you wrong? Right. If Senator Jones wins instead. So I think so. Let's let's project forward. Let's say the Democrats manage. I, again, I, I don't think they're going to hang on to the House, but let's say they manage to pull it out in the Senate. I think we will look back and say that one of the reasons that this cycle was not as bad as it could have been for Democrats is that the abortion issue in combination with things like January 6th and Clarence Thomas, that the Democrats in enough places were able to convince voters that the Republicans were extreme and to change it from the typical referendum, which midterms typically are. They're a referendum on the administration. Turn it from a referendum into a choice between Democrats and what they will paint as the extremism embodied by Donald Trump, whose name I think, I don't know if it's come up yet tonight or not. It's probably the <laughs> longest we've gone at a Commonwealth Club without mentioning Trump. But anyway, with the help of Trump and his presence, you know, if Democrats manage to, to hang on, I don't think it's going to be enough to hang on to the House. It could win them some close races in some leaner seats. It could be a factor in places like Arizona, um, Nevada, um, a few other states that have competitive. But again, I think if Democrats do better than anyone expects, then it'll be because this issue in combination with others enable them to sort of paint this as a choice between Democrats and Republican, quote, extremism. And before I go to Carla, did you have a... Yeah, I, you know, John... Take her first. Okay, go ahead. go ahead, Carla. Mark is right on the money on this uh, because I, I think 
what we've seen on the Republican side, and uh, I think Cecile Richards uh, put it this way, saying that on the issue of abortion, maybe Republicans may be the dog that caught the bus, which is that, you know, they, they, they've gone a little too far. Uh, and, and some of the candidates out there have gone a little too far on, on the extremist point. You, we've got some candidates, I believe in Louisiana, are suggesting, for instance, the death penalty for women uh, who have abortions. That you've got the issue of here in California, the latest IGS polls showing two thirds of voters are worried that Republicans are going to take this issue and now try to do the same thing to same sex marriage. That whether whether Republicans are going too far on these social issues, um, and and Mark mentioned some of the candidates, Mitch McConnell himself has expressed concern about the quality of candidates that Republicans have put up. When you look at a Carrie Lake, for instance, election deniers, uh, QAnon uh, subscribers, uh, folks that may be just too much, uh, too soon, too fast for just average voters out there. Uh, no matter that Trump is endorsing some of them, we saw last night in New York, Elise Stefanik's um, uh, endorsed candidate uh, went down uh, to the Democrat. Uh, so I think the extremism issue could be one where Republicans have got to worry that some of their candidates are over the line for ma- for just mainstream voters out there. And I think we're going to we're going to see that certainly inflation, uh, gas prices, which are coming down, are going to be top of mind. Crime, homelessness, that's been another issue here, certainly here in California. But right now, these social issues are now coming to the fore. And I think that may sway some of those voters who are in the middle and undecided. And this is what Democrats have got to put their hopes on. Do you have something you want to add? Well, only that this this gets to the point that both of us have said, that all of us have said, that, that, that the election is about more than a single issue. I mean, there are always single-issue voters. We know that. Yeah. We know that. Right. But most voters aren't. Most voters aren't. Right. And, and I think the point that Mitch McConnell was making is uh, at the, choice of, the choice that Republicans have made with the candidates they've chosen for key, for key positions. And I agree with Mark. I'll go so far as to say this. I think the Democrats are going to hold on to the Senate. Because of, of candidates like J.D. Vance, yeah. Amendment Oz, <coughs> uh, uh, Herschel Walker, uh, and a cast of thousands. And, and these people have been anointed by President Trump, not because of their competence, but because of the, the extent that they've fawned over him. And that's the quality that's important. Well, that's good. But we know enough about um, uh, the, the, the Trump element of, of, of the voter universe that it's not a majority. It's a healthy minority. It's, it's 35% maybe. And in an election when you've got a nomination where you've got six, seven candidates, 35% is going to win the day every time. Right. So we've got all these candidates. And, 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 and it gets to the point that this is a lot more than just that single issue. Because these guys, they're, they're, they're obviously not doing a very good job. The polls show, it's not my opinion. The polls show that they're not doing a very good job persuading should, the voters. Should we go from here? We, we, we'll, we'll take you out. So you can just go yeah. next one and have a drink. We'll just <laughs> we'll let you know when it's over. We'll come get you. No, okay, so I'm going to throw out some names and we'll see. You know, do any of these names ring a bell? Christine O'Donnell, mm-hmm. Sharon Angle, Todd Nevada. Aiken, yeah. Ken Buck. Okay, all these were people who ran for the Senate in 2010 and in 2014, which were landslide Republican years. In 2010, Republicans won, what, like 60, 73, some ridiculous number. But Democrats hang on to the Senate because they nominated people like Christine O'Donnell and Sharon Angle and Ken Buck, who did and said crazy stuff. 
And again, no predictions, but Blake Masters in Arizona, <laughs> Mehmet Oz uh, in Pennsylvania, Herschel Walker in, in Georgia. If Democrats hang on to the Senate, it's going to be because Republicans went down that road again and nominated people who are just too extreme and or seen as incompetent to win. Basically blowing a really, really good chance. I mean, they should, they should take control of the Senate this year. Yep. On paper, they should. If they don't, it's going to be because of these exotics. What a nice way of putting it. These exotic candidates. I like that. <laughs> well, we'll get into more of those races in a bit. But before we do, I want to talk about something that some people think is, is ginning up the uh, enthusiasm uh, or the emotion uh, angle on the Republican side, and that is um, the raid of Mar-a-Lago. So I kind of thought someone would applaud, but okay. It's okay. Right. We'll try it again. Uh, the raid of Mar-a-Lago. So, so for a couple of years now, there have been some Democrats and, and liberals who have been complaining that you know, the Department of Justice and Merrick Garland, the attorney, the attorney general, were being too cautious when it came to investigating or pursuing uh, the previous administration's involvement in the insurrection. Then came the raid at Mar-a-Lago, and... Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Best audience. Um, but anyway, th- this has obviously been a very emotional time with people being thrilled and people being very upset, people being angry, and even threatening violence against uh, government agents. So, starting with you, Larry... Um, speaking of political implications of this, what do you think? Is this uh, just kind of the, the latest? You know, I mean, what, during the Trump administration, we kind of had a, every week or two, there was some big thing that people were like, this is going to change everything, and it didn't because the next day we were going to war against <coughs> Greenland. Um, what do you think about this? You know, I mean, there are a lot of us who have watched Donald Trump over the last six years, and we've said at some point or another, aha. This is the time. Aha. Uh-huh. This is the time. Aha. Uh-huh. Right? I've got Swiss cheese all over the place from saying aha. And it never was the right time. I think the situation is different. And it may, it may add to the polarization we already have. The Trumpers coming out more than ever. But, and, and, of course, the anti-Trumpers coming out more than ever. But it's the ones in the middle. It's the 40% in the middle. How are they going to respond to this? And I think we just have to let this take its course. We, we, you know, it, it looks like you know, some pretty bad things have happened. And the question is, how is this going to be laid out? And don't forget, we have the 1-6 committee coming back right. in September. And I think there's going to be even more interest in September than we saw in, in June. Uh, as we get, because we're getting closer to the election. Mm-hmm. And then everybody gets more interested, right? Oh, there's an election. I heard about that. Okay, so 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 you're going to see that. So the, the combination of one six and the rollout of this inf- information could mean a lot, not just for Donald Trump, but but the the election deniers, if you will. And though and and not 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 the hardcore ones, you know, right. but the ones who said, well, yeah, you know, those are the ones you got to watch. Remember, elections tend to be close. They do no matter what. And I think that th- that's, that's the variable that we have to watch. See, and I have a really hard time seeing any upside 
for the Republicans in this. I mean, it's like, you know, this glass, right? It's like, you know, at a certain point, let, let, let's say these are, you know, Trump animated people. At a certain point, you can fill it up, but it can only go so high. So I, I think, you know, people who are, are uh, you know, the shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and still will support them crowd, you know, they're already ginned up. I don't think they can get very much more ginned up. You know, I, I think simply stated, you know, any day that Donald Trump is in the news is a good one for Democrats and not a good one for Republicans. I mean, we saw that in the 2016 presidential campaign. If you go back and you look at the course of that campaign, when Hillary Clinton was front and center in the news, she would go down the polls and Donald Trump would go up. And when Trump was at the center of news, he would go down and she would go up. And as it happened, right, the last weekend, the Comey thing, she was the focus of attention, right? So again, any day where people are talking about Donald Trump or thinking about Donald Trump or drawing the comparison between how things were under Trump versus how things are now under Biden, yes, you have to factor in inflation, but I'm talking about, you know, uh, the things that, that, that people were, were glad to be done with, you know, this, this uh, I was going to say Michigas, but <laughs> if anyone understands, just this, this daily, word. this tumult, all this stuff, I mean, it excites his base. People who hate Trump hate him even more. But I think a lot of people are just ready to move on. And so, again, any day that people aren't thinking about a referendum on Biden and, and a choice between then versus now, I, I think is, is not a good one for Republicans. And, and, John, and John, let me say, I mean, I think the interesting thing is the reporting has not stopped on this Mar-a-Lago um, event. Uh, every day we're seeing uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, um, continuing to report more details about how the government tried to recover these documents, you know, peacefully, quietly uh, over a 15 month period. And what's in these documents, which now we're hearing could be some of the most sensitive secrets, you know, the, the United States government held. And there's now videotape about people going in and out of the storage room. I mean, at this point, Republicans uh, having to defend this, behavior with videotape, with, with uh, you know, even Trump uh, um, sort of journalists who are on Trump's side releasing information that is very damaging to him. Uh, his circle of friends are, are getting smaller and smaller. Even today, he's tweeting that uh, Mitch McConnell and his wife, Elaine Chow, maybe should be investigated. He seems to be suggesting that. Uh, it, it, it just creates a situation where I think for Republicans, this is more and more uh, damaging and more and more um, sort of drama that they don't need going into these midterms. And, uh, you know, we have to talk about, too, I mean, this is going on along with that monsoon of other investigations that Trump is facing with regard to, you know, January 6th, as, you, as, as was mentioned, uh, tax issues, you know, uh, civil inquiries, uh, you know, et cetera. Um, so, so there's a, there's a, uh, an avalanche of stuff that's going on. And at this point for the Republicans trying to focus on real issues that matter to just real voters, kitchen table issues, it gets more and more difficult as Trump is on truth social ginning up, um, what, as Larry said, looks like, you know, maybe a declining base at this point. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how, how the Mar-a-Lago uh, event plays out, but the continual reporting on it, and it's really excellent reporting, um, doesn't bode well for Donald Trump. If, you know, if, if I could 
throw in something contra to what I had just said a few moments ago. I mean, as, as Larry suggests, you know, we're really talking about independent voters who are people who don't follow politics very closely, who may kind of realize come late November, October that there's an election, and, and so they're not following the ins and outs the way a lot of people are. And, you know, there was a really, uh, uh, if, if you're not familiar with the Cook Political Report, they, they do a terrific job, and Amy Walter does a lot of their analysis. And it was very interesting. She was talking about a focus group where uh, these were people who were undecided, you know, independent voters, right? And there was one guy who, who they were talking about January 6th and this and that and all that and how terrible all this stuff was. He said, but all I know is that I'm paying twice what I did for lumber and gas two years ago. So... Uh, um, there is that large segment of people out there who aren't paying attention to the headlines and, and don't care what people like me or Larry or Carla think or say or care or write about. Um, they're going to vote based on their wallets and their pocketbooks. So that's kind of contra to everything I just said. <clears throat> on that note, then, let's talk about some of the most interesting races we've, we've touched on. Some of them I want to get into a bit more in uh, Pennsylvania. Very interesting Senate race between... Democrat John Fetterman and Republican Mehmet Oz. Um, who wants to start with that? Mark, let's stick with you. Well, I think if you want... Uh, and I want to hear the word crudite somewhere in this. Yes, yes crudite, yes. I thought we might get some with our water, but unfortunately... Um, I thought it meant overthrow the government, a crudite. Yeah, yeah, right, right, yes. Um, Look, if you wanted one race that sort of embodies uh, the approach to this midterm that the Republican Party has taken, um, not to get too far down into the weeds, but, you know, Mitch McConnell has sort of farmed off a lot of this. There's a lot of tension between uh, Rick Scott, the senator from Florida, who's heading the Republican Senate Campaign Committee, and and Mitch McConnell, and and, and a lot of uh, the fact that that, uh, Rick Scott may be angling for Mitch McConnell's job with Trump's support uh, doesn't doesn't make the two get along any better. But there's a lot of finger pointing and a lot of blame. And the bottom line is, you know, the Republicans in many, many states nominated people whose major, if not only qualification, was loyalty to Donald Trump. And Mehmet Oz is a case in point. He was someone who Trump was impressed with because he was on TV. He's been a... <laughs> No, it's true. He was. He was impressed with him. And that was, you know, and, and, and you know, he, he bowed and scraped and did what he had to do to get Trump's endorsement. And he's, and he's turning to be turning out to be a perfectly horrible candidate. <laughs> the best example of it being post-crudite, his press person was quoted yesterday saying that, well, you know, his, his opponent, John Fetterman, is recovering from a stroke, said, well, maybe he'd eaten some vegetables. He would have had a stroke. So, I mean, you want to talk about tone deaf and insensitive. And of course, you know, Fetterman just just, you know, just rightly pointed out that was really a just mind-blowingly insensitive and stupid comment. Um, So, you know, if you want to show how to lose and squander a a really, really good uh, opportunity to, 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 well, in that case, it would be to hang on to a Senate race, you got to look no further than Pennsylvania. Carla, any thoughts on Pennsylvania? Yeah, you know what? Amendment Oz was a creation of Oprah Winfrey. That's the interesting thing about this. And I mean, the, the reason he ended up where he is is because he was a media star. Um, but the problem is uh, he's a media star who's very, very wealthy. Uh, I think uh, Fetterman has pointed out he has 10 homes um, and his New Jersey connection. 
is the is the thing that is that is sort of taking him down as well. I mean, you've got people like uh, uh, Stevie Van Zant and other other Jersey uh, Jersey. Wow, uh, folks. <laughs> <laughs> um, how 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 uh, Oz deserves to be in the uh, Hall of Fame in Jersey. Uh, being a former Jersey girl myself, uh, you know, this is a this is a uh, an issue uh, there. And I think you know whether he's. Pennsylvania or not, how many homes he owns, does he know crudités from uh, veggie trays? I mean, the guy has proven to be a, a, a candidate who knew how to act, uh, knew how to communicate in a television show. But apparently when it comes to voters, uh, I think this is a this is a lesson. I mean, we've seen media stars here in California, Schwarzenegger, etc. Some of them are successful. Some of them are not. And Fetterman has just been I think sort of brilliant early his team has in making these social media memes every day uh, about about his mistakes, about Oz's mistakes. So as as Mark pointed out, that that race, I think, more than any other sort of illustrates uh, what happens uh, when you think you've got uh, gold as a candidate. Uh, and, it, and it turns out to be not so. I think in, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the governor's race there also is an issue when you've got Mastriano, somebody who is so, uh, so extreme. Uh, and it, how is this playing with voters? In both those races, the governor's race and the Senate race in Pennsylvania, the Democrats are leading by at least five uh, from, from what I'm seeing, the latest tracking polls. And, and it looks like um, that that's going to be a win for them. I just saw a poll that showed a Republican Doug Mastriano is uh, trailing Democrat Josh Shapiro by 15 points. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Larry, any thoughts on Pennsylvania before we move on? I'm beginning to think this is a biased crowd. I, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, this is an angle. I mean, look, you guys have done a great job in Pennsylvania. Uh, two things, real quick. Uh, Fetterman, of course, is just the absolute antithesis. Yeah. The shorts... The hoodie, yeah, yeah. The Pittsburgh guy, the goatee, yeah. Right, I mean, you know, he's a working class guy, yeah. and and ah, so slick. I mean, my God, the the the, the just the presence is just amazing to, to watch. Um, uh, but 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 beyond that, you know, you got to wonder. Uh, maybe somebody might even feel sorry uh, for Mitch McConnell, who you know absolutely loathes these candidates. Yeah. He loathes them. Yeah. You know, go back under a rock and leave me alone. And yet, and yet the Republican Senate committee is just putting tens of millions of dollars into these campaigns. $28 million to J.D. Vance. I forgot how many tens of million dollars, you know, to, 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 to Oz. I mean, this is ludicrous. Mitch McConnell has to be saying this to himself at night. He, to, to Elaine, he's saying this is ludicrous. I mean, I mean, it's crazy, but that's the position he's in. That's the position he's in, throwing good at money, good after bad, uh, for candidates that he knows are in all likelihood are likely to lose. And, and then, you know what? Here, let me give. <clears throat> I agree with everything you said, but, the, but that's but no just, fun. No, but <laughs> so so the, the counters. So okay, so let's say um, we're here in December and we're talking about how Republicans have won control of the Congress. <clears throat> excuse me, won control of the Senate, and Herschel Walker's been elected, and Mehmet Oz's been elected, and all these things that we and think Trump's is Trump's exonerated. Right. No, no, no. No, no, but I think there is... I, I think <clears throat> there is a, 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 a not bad chance that some of these candidates could prevail. And if they do, I look for... Why? How would we explain a Herschel Walker winning, a Mehmet Oz winning, a Blake Masters winning, all these people winning... 
No, it, it is the tribalism of our politics and how we become a parliamentary thing. And it'll be because par- candidate character and quality is less important than who do you want to control Congress. So like I said, if, if I'm invited back and we're talking about, you know, Republicans being in control of the Senate because all these candidates who we think can't and couldn't and shouldn't win, win. It's going to be because voters didn't care how wacky Herschel Walker, the crazy stuff he said about China and trees and global warming, and they don't care about memetas and crudités. They will say, you know what? I want Republicans to control Congress, so I'm going to hold my nose and vote for these people. That's how they, that's how they win. Can I say one thing about Larry. that? With all due respect, I think we get to a state-by-state state thing. And if you look at Arizona, for example... I'm not so sure that that holds. You look at somebody like, get ready for the booze, uh, 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 Kirsten Cinema. Let me hear it. There we go. Okay. I mean, I mean, she's positioned herself right, right in the middle, you know, and uh, and, and uh, she's managed to hold on, and I think she, for the foreseeable future, will, yeah. or as will Mark Kelly. I think same thing. Um, Carrie Lake. She may even uh, get, get through. I wouldn't be surprised because there's such a huge libertarian element in Arizona. Yeah. There really is. So, I, you know, the state-by-state state thing sometimes makes it hard, I think, for all of us to, to go too far out there. Uh, and I'm guilty of that a lot. Well, what, what are some of the races that you're most interested and in, most intrigued by? I like the Arizona race. I, li- I like the, the race for governor there. Uh, uh, the, 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 uh, why am I forgetting her name? You guys all know this. is Secretary of State. Hobbs. Right. Uh, Katie. Katie, Katie, Katie. I think Catherine Hobbs. Yeah, Thanks. right. Uh, uh, I think that's going to be a great race because that's the election denier versus the person who ran the election. I love that race to see to see. To see you know, this is a sad story, isn't it? I love race. Uh, uh, but I think that's a good race. Um, I think Ohio is a good race. Um, uh, um, Vance and uh, come on, guys. Uh, oh, Ryan. Um, right, because, yeah. yeah, because He's very competitive. Because, right. Oh, it's, well, I consider, look, I don't believe buy this purple stuff. I think Ohio's a Republican state. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and, and right now it's fairly even. I like that. I like that race. That, that's that's going to tell you a lot about what's happened to the suburbs, you know, and, and back to the whole idea about abortion. Things like that are going to pop out in a place like Ohio. So for me, uh, those are a couple of, I think uh, Florida is gone. You know, you got $132 million, and money doesn't always win an election. Just add Mac Whitman, if you remember that stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think you know, he's, he's popular, DeSantis. He just is. And yeah. uh, that, I don't think that's anything to, to watch for me. But those, those two states, for me, are, are a couple of my favorites. It's... Yeah, Arizona's interesting. Um, we haven't talked much about Nevada. I mean, I think Nevada is a very interesting Cortez test Masto. case. Yeah, Cortez Masto, uh, first uh, Latina senator in, in, in period or in Nevada. I know in Nevada. Nevada. We but, had but no running against, you know, an election denier. I think we're going to get to questions in a little bit. I don't know, but you're running the show. Um, Black salt. Um, against, uh, against an election denier. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very interesting thing. You know, Arizona's interesting. Um, you know, I mean, Georgia is interesting just because, I mean, like I said, it's, it's like Herschel Walker is just, I mean, he's just such a, and yet it's, say it bad remains candidate. a very, it remains a and very, yes, it does. and yes, and yes, and yes, and yes, and that's where the tribalism mm-hmm. comes in. I mean, Herschel Walker, with all due respect, I mean, just does not belong in the United States Senate, but he might, we might well be. Okay. Last words, Carla, yeah. before we move on. I think I just want to say on on Arizona, 
I think the Carrie Lake um, candidacy is just very interesting because she's not only a mega Trump, uh, you know, election denier, but she's one that has a very sophisticated media experience. Um, and I think yeah. for that reason, she is somebody to watch uh, if she gets elected. Um I think she could be the next sort of the next generation of where this whole Trump movement goes. Uh, she's been able to say some just kind of outrageous uh, things when it comes to uh, denying the election. She's very, she seems to be very, very popular and she's very, very sophisticated when it comes to her media presence. So I want to watch that one. Uh, I, I do want to watch Val Demings versus Marco Rubio in Florida. I know uh, a lot of people think uh, that one's already, a, you know, a, a goner for Marco Rubio, that, that he's going to win that one. But I have seen polls that are bringing that one um, maybe a little closer. In in all these cases, and whether you're talking about Herschel Walker, you talk about Nevada, uh, Adam Laxall versus Cortez Masso, you know, you've got the election deniers uh, out there. And I think there's a real question about how many of them are going to uh, end up in the win column, J.D. Vance. And not only in those seats, but in seats that directly affect election outcomes, the secretary of state. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Arizona, so, Nevada. You, know, you have, you have, yeah, uh, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. Governor, we haven't talked about. Picks, uh, we haven't talked about Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin is a really important state, uh, right? Uh, uh, competitive gubernatorial race. You have a guy who's running for governor who's an election denier. You have a state that has been a tipping point state in the last several presidential campaigns. You have uh, candidates for secretary of state there, for governor there, who basically have been very, very partisan. So, I mean, that, that Pennsylvania is important. Wisconsin, which we haven't again mentioned, super important state. And I did know, and so Tony Evers is the Democratic incumbent governor of Wisconsin. Right. Um, he's largely been hamstrung in what he's been able to do. He's a very, very partisan legislature. It's one of those states where they've basically gerrymandered it so far, there's, there's no chance that'll flip in, in any time soon. Um, but at, right after the, the Dobbs decision came out, his messaging started being about abortion. And, uh, and, you know, the choice and such like that. And uh, working with the Secretary of State in that state, who is also a Democrat, and them, what was it, giving direction to the prosecutors or whatever not to pursue. Uh, right, because like some 1893 law yeah. or something yeah, automatically one kicked in. Really old right. laws. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, Wisconsin is, is also interesting. And, of course, it is one of those states that, you know, went barely for Donald Trump and then went barely for Joe Biden. So it is a, a definite battleground. It is. Um, speaking of another state that probably is, you know, who knows, California could go for Trump, could go for Biden. It's so close here. But let's talk about some of the California races. Um, I actually want to start with the controller's race. Um, because this has uh, this features Republican uh, Lani Chen versus Democrat Malia Cohen. Lani Chen, of course, most famous for being a uh, frequent week-to-week panelist. That's right. Um, That's right. And of course, Malia Cohen, one of the rising stars in the California Democratic Party. Uh, starting with you, Larry, uh, is, does Lani have a chance to be the first Republican to retake a statewide seat in this state? Well, let's put it this way. He is the only Republican who could, by virtue of his positioning. He's pro-choice. Start off with that. In California, you've already got 10 points, okay? 
I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, that, that's a big thing here in the state. Um, uh, he's, uh, he's a moderate in every sense of the term. He you know, wants to make the schools better. Uh, he doesn't run off uh, on charter schools and stuff like that to any great degree. Um, he does things that a lot of Democrats could vote for uh, in a lot of conditions, a lot of circumstances. I don't get too work, worked up about this. He got, I think, 30, something like 32% or 33% in the, in the, in the, in the uh, right. Uh, right. primary. And then Malia Cohn, right beneath him, got 22%, something like that. Uh, as it came in second, said, well, my gosh. Well, everybody else were Democrats. Yeah. Right. And, and you add it all up, and, and that may be his high point, 32 35%. But if anybody can do it, it's like Faulkner in San Diego. But the problem is, you know, these guys tend to get, you've heard the term, the verb now, primaried. Yeah. Uh, in this case, in California, he, did, he didn't. But he, the guy's got good credentials, and he's articulate, you know, I, I, he's smart. I mean, he's got a lot of good things going. He's just in the wrong state. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I would agree with everything Larry said. I would just add he has the scarlet R next to his name. And yeah. in California, Republican is, is, is a scarlet letter, scarlet R. Tit. Carla, you agree? I, I, I think Lonnie Chen is a, is a brilliant guy at four degrees from uh, Harvard and Stanford. Uh, uh, this is somebody who you know from being on Week to Week, John. Uh, he knows his stuff. And he's been endorsed by every major newspaper, LA Times, uh, Mercury News, I believe. And uh, I mean, yeah, as Larry said, uh, in any other state, this would work. The, what is What could be the interesting factor here is the controller seat is a kind of a watchdog seat in California. And um, his, he, the argument he makes is um, one party rule. Maybe it's time for uh, somebody to come in and, and be the watchdog on that party. But I, I, I think, as, as many have suggested, it may be a lift too large here in California for anyone with an R after their name, given the, uh, given the opportunity. The fact is, he is no matter what happens in this race, and even with the endorsements that he has, he is somebody to watch uh, for the future. He's very yeah. young. And uh, extremely accomplished. So I think that's uh, that's a race to watch for that reason. And once, he, that moves, reason. And once he moves to Iowa, Carla, he'll be in. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, these three, of course, will be eager to find out if the week-to-week panel is a springboard to greater things. <laughs> yeah, right. oh, exactly. Um, I guess briefly now, we're running close or short on time. The governor's race, um, and I don't say this to insult the man, but raise your hand if you know who the Republican candidate is for governor. I see one. That might be him, in fact. I don't know. Yeah, look, you know, I, I, I think the short answer is we, we ran the governor's race last September. Done. He was reelected. You know, uh, it, was, it was a 270 or 200 some million dollar debacle to basically rerun the election, get the exact to this percentage, exactly. you know, result we did before. That was it. We had, we had a gubernatorial race. It was last September. By the way, if you do want to meet the gentleman who's running, his name is Brian. Is it Dahl? Dolly. Dolly. Yeah. He will be at the Commonwealth Club on September 22nd. Um, but any thoughts on the, the, I mean, what you just said about the race, I think it's probably, probably about how a lot of voters feel about it. Yeah. Um, is, let me ask it this way, which is people are talking, of course, a lot about and watching what Newsom is doing and saying, is this really plotting a run for the president, whether in 2024 or 2028? I'll, I'll gladly take that one because I have written, I think, two or three columns now saying flat out Gavin Newsom is not running for president. Look, Gavin Newsom would love to be president. Gavin Newsom probably thinks he's capable of being president. 
You may not like Gavin Newsom's hair or his teeth or his policies or anything about him, but Gavin Newsom is not stupid. I think Gavin Newsom realizes that running against Joe Biden would be suicidal, that running against Kamala Harris would be a fool's errand. Um, If Joe Biden, if, right, big capital I-F, Joe Biden were to step aside, Kamala Harris is the front runner and the one that has to be beaten. And if she were to stumble, then yes, a la Bobby Kennedy in 1968, was it like March or whatever, when he finally got into the race, then I would see Gavin running. As we sit here today, I do not see Gavin Newsom running for president. Carla? Right now, the uh, the poll this week shows Gavin Newsom up 27 points in this uh, governor's race. So you're absolutely right. That one looks like a done deal. But And Gavin is universally known by Californians. Uh, he said he's got a 53 percent approval rating at this point. And he's making moves, uh, as Mark said, uh, that, that are creating that storyline that he's running for president sometime in the future. We do know that at his 40th birthday party in San Francisco, there was a toast by the family next, next time at the White House. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's been talked about before. Uh, but there's a lot that has to happen and a lot of uh, things that have to fall into line for that to happen. There's, uh, and Kamala Harris is, uh, is certainly uh, one of the things that, that would have to work itself out for, for Gavin to do that. I think it's very interesting to see how Newsom is making the moves to jab at DeSantis, jab at Governor uh, Abbott in Texas, to draw that contrast between California and those very red states. He's doing that for a reason. Um, And some Democrats are saying he's doing it for his own uh, personal future. But others are saying he's doing it because the party needs somebody uh, to to be kind of the uh, the bad boy and to be out there with a very aggressive message. And certainly I think Democrats here in California are happy to see him do that. So it's a win win for him no matter what happens. He can always say, no, I'm not interested in running. That's not my thing. And then, you know, who knows, two years from now. But the voters, you know, wanted me to. So I, I, I think we, you know, we, we haven't seen the end of that drama. Um, but whatever, Newsom has made himself the center of conversation uh, nationally. And that's got to be a good thing for his uh, political future. And that's got to be President a good thing Gavin, for his uh, 2028. political future. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Larry, President Gavin. 2028. <laughs> No, I'm serious. 2028. He's 54 years old. Yep. He's going to let this whole thing play out. Uh, and, and if Biden uh, chooses not to run and Harris does run, another story. And then it's maybe 2032. He's still young. Yep. He's young. Yep. I mean, of course, to me, everybody's young. But that's another story. <laughs> I mean, he's young. Right. OK. Right. And uh, and uh, uh, he's he's going to get his name out. There's no there's no downside to yeah, any right. of this. I was in Florida, ironically, the week his his commercials came out, and and they were sort of like, who is this guy? I mean, I mean, why is he doing this? He doesn't live here, does he? They actually asked that, does he? But no, I I I think he's in my business. There's something called time horizon, and and he is definitely thinking about time horizon. Well, I would just append a thought. Look, workaday governor doing boring workaday governor stuff is like. Boring snooze, right? <laughs> Possible candidate for president, maybe going to take on Biden, maybe going to run. It's like, wow, the New York Times and the Washington Post and CNN and all the networks want to talk to this guy. It's, it's, it's that simple. OK, uh, we're going to have to be very quick. So I'm just going to ask each of you to pick one of the propositions on the ballot 
that you think is most noteworthy or interesting or crazy um, and what you think could happen to it or, or something like that. So, Carla, you go first. I, I think it's Proposition 1, uh, which is the Right to Reproductive Freedom Amendment, uh, which essentially sort of asks California voters to amend the state constitution to prohibit uh, the state from interfering. We're already seeing uh, interfering with abortion uh, freedom, reproductive freedom. Uh, look, the, the polls are showing that is overwhelmingly going to pass by a two-thirds margin or more. And I think this is going to be uh, kind of a throwdown uh, for the rest of the country. They're going to look at that and see um, how California voters uh, come out. Obviously, we're, we're a strongly blue state, but Prop 1 is one, one I'm going to be really watching. You know, I am Bart. struck by this, even on BART, on the way over here, listening to people talking about this kidney dialysis mission. No. <laughs> people cannot stop talking about this. It is like, no. They all know so I much would, about yes, it. Too. No, I would. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'd go with, I, I would second what, I would second what Carla, what, what Carla said. Larry? 2627. Gambling, folks. Yeah. There'll be, there'll be a half a billion, yeah. a half a billion B spent on those two propositions, if not more, two and a half times it's ever been spent on any proposition of the state. That's how big it is to, to the various interests in all these sides. And they'll both fail. Yeah. And they'll recoup all that money at the <laughs> in a week. game play table. Yeah, insane. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Let's do our news quiz before we let folks out for the night. Uh, Wendy is our volunteer who's going to hand out chocolate to people who get the answer correct. <laughs> so I think most of you know how we do this. I'm going to ask a question. If you think you know the answer, I know you've been stuck at home and you, you're eager to get out. You're so thrilled to be with people, to talk to them, but don't shout out the answer. Raise your hand. I'll call on you. Then you can shout out the answer. Okay. So, first question. <sighs> Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi was not in court when her husband pleaded guilty to what? <laughs> I'm going to punish her. I didn't hear her. Way over there in the blue. That's right. It was a DUI causing injury in connection with the automobile accident in May. Could we maybe have the house lights up just a bit? Otherwise, I'm only going to be calling on people in the front row, and that's not fair. Almost two-thirds of Europe is affected by something that could be the worst in 500 years. What is it? In the white there. Drought. Drought, that's correct. A severe drought. Kim Kardashian, Kevin Hart, Dwayne Wade, and Sylvester Stallone, they were all sent warnings about their violations of what? Water. Water, because of our own severe drought. That's correct. We're right there in the front. Okay. Um... That's a question that's so easy, I'm not going to ask it. <laughs> a federal jury on Tuesday convicted two men of conspiring to kidnap whom? In the stripes. Uh, Michigan governor. Michigan governor Gretchen Whitmer, that is correct. Okay. Um, I need a name. Who is the Republican who beat Liz Cheney in the primary in Wyoming? Mm. Sir. Uh, Harriet Hagman. That's, that's good enough for chocolate. You got the last name. Yeah, we, we go by chocolate rules here. NBC News reports that conservative activists in Bonners Ferry, Idaho, have pushed a list of 400 books that they're demanding the local public library remove from their shelves. There's only one problem. What is it? I mean, beyond demanding books. Be way in back there. There's no public library. No. <laughs> but you're thinking along the right lines. Anyone else? <laughs> Ma'am. 
That's correct. They don't carry any of those books. <laughs> by the way, the, the librarian, that librarian, by the way, quit after only nine months because of the political pressure of that job. So, yeah. Um, people in Scandinavia are posting videos of themselves dancing as a show of support for what uh, political leader? Mm-hmm. Try again in the back. That's right, Finnish Prime Minister, I believe, Sanna Marin, who was criticized after she was shown dancing at a party. It's Scandinavia. They weren't upset that she was dancing. They were upset that she was showing emotion. <laughs> just, I'm from Wisconsin. I can make that joke. Um, <laughs> China's government censors altered the ending of what recent film to make it look like the criminals were apprehended? Yes. Minions. Oh. The Rise of Gru. How sad. Yes. Um, yesterday, California Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would allow what in three California cities? Your hand was up first. Uh, right, safe injection sites. That's correct. Sorry? Uh, way over here in the red on the front row. <laughs> okay, I think we've got a few more here. What is Regner's Grocery Store? <laughs> Uh, if you what is Regner's grocery store, ma'am? Right there. That's right. There's a Wegman's grocery store and a what is it? Redner's Regner, grocery store. Yeah. He conflated. And he he made a um, yeah. They don't uh, sell crudite. Port- he made a portmanteau. He made a portmanteau okay. of the two. So, what powerful Hollywood figure was granted an appeal more than two years after his rape conviction? Harvey Weinstein. Oh, I that. The crowd. <laughs> um, let's see. In the face of ongoing war, what country defiantly marked its Independence Day today? Ma'am, your hand with what? Ukraine. Ukraine, right. <laughs> President Zelensky said, quote, We finally became truly one, a new nation that emerged on February 24th at 4 a.m., not born, but reborn. Do we have one left, or are we done? We're done. That's it, folks. I want to thank our great panel, Dr. Larry Gersten, Mark Barabek, Carla Marinucci. Thanks to all of you here, everyone watching. Have a good week. Don't forget to vote. Stay warm. <laughs> You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org slash donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.